doing something a little different because it is Father's Day. It's a very special day. So if you will turn with me to, to Mark 5, if you have the book with you, that would be 978, page 978. If uh, you don't have the book, it is simply Mark 5. So welcome to fall in the Northwest. <laughs> but <laughs> okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, the topic of the sermon this morning is going to be Fathers, Seek the Healing of Your Children. And this will be uh, taking Mark 5 from verse 21 through 43. Uh, so if you'd please stand with me as we read. It's a lengthy story. Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake, where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hand on her. Heal her so she can live, pleading fervently with him. Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay on them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe, for she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped. And she could feel in her body that she had been healed from her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out of him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, Look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, Your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, Don't be afraid, just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone to go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing, and he went inside and asked, Why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead, she's only sleeping. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave, and he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. 
Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone, but it happened. And then he told them to give her something to eat. May God bless this word. Um, please continue standing with me. I'm going to pray for us, and then you guys can sit down. Oh God, I thank you for uh, just preserving these stories that we can ad- admire, just the way you moved while you were, were God incarnate here. God, that we can see not so we can walk directly in their footsteps and try to, to follow these patterns, but simply to see the faith that throws itself upon uh, Jesus as being the healer. Um, and by that, w- we're defined as humans. And I pray, God, that this morning we, as uh, the fathers that are here, the mothers, the children, all of us here, can learn to just be defined by that faith in Jesus. So God, we pray these things in your name. Amen. Okay, so here we have an incredible story. Um, This story is not only told in the Gospel of Mark, but it's also told in the Gospel of Matthew. And it has, uh, the beginning of it gives us a slightly different picture of what this looks like. In the Gospel of Mark, there's you have Jesus uh, on this side of, of this large lake, and, and he pulls up to the shore, and this crazy man comes out. This man who's filled with demons runs at him, and he, is, he by all appearance, looks to be completely out of control. Uh, one who's so completely out of control and, and so crazy that the people of the town have tried chaining him up. Okay, so, so Jesus was just there. And, and just saw this man uh, be healed. And so gets back in the boat, goes to the other side of the lake. But the people who have seen this happen are so amazed that they beat the boat, right? Jesus turns people into runners. And so they run around, and they find themselves on the other side of the lake. And so they're, they're waiting there. And, just, and uh, Jairus appears, and this is in Mark, he appears just to be waiting there with them. But in Matthew, we get this fuller story, right? That's why we have all these Gospels, and it's cool as you read them together. is because you, you see parts that we might just assume, but, but the part that's missing is what's added in Matthew is that there's, there's other things going on before uh, this synagogue leader shows up. So what is happening is, so Jesus arrives on the other side of the lake, he heals a man, and then he, he, as he's walking away, approaches a town, he sees Matthew, a tax collector. And he calls Matthew, Matthew, I'm not only going to call you to follow me, but I'm going to go eat at your house. And so he goes and he eats at the house of this tax collector who is seen by his people as being a Jew who's betrayed his people. And so Jesus goes into this home, is, is blessing his home, and these Pharisees are, are around, it says, just asking Jesus, why would you even be here? Right? This guy betrays his own people. Why would you, why would you eat there? And so while, this, while conversation is going on in this house, Jairus shows up and he's watching this take place. And that's what we see in Matthew. So, so he shows up. There's tax collectors at this house. There's sinners at this house. right? There is uh, Pharisees at this house. So we have everyone here. right? So hopefully it's a big house like mine, like my new house. Uh, where it has a large downstairs, so everyone can really get a view <laughs> of what's going on. And so we, we see Jairus there just, just watching everything take place. And that's where we find him. 
Um, to give you a look at, at what he is as a synagogue ruler. Uh, synagogue rulers, as, as his place as a synagogue ruler is that uh, he stands out among the people that would come to a church. So he, he is not only seen as, as someone who's respected, but he also, as a synagogue ruler, it says he would go on, uh, on missions, essentially, to, to other districts and really uh, be talking with everyone. So in a large region around where he was, he would be known. And so that's who this man is. That's who this, this father is. Um, so that's just to give you a, a picture of who will be um, the father that we're looking at in this story. There are also a, a mother. There's a family in this story, a mother and a daughter in this story. Um, but we're looking at the father um, today, especially because it's Father's Day. But not simply because this, often what's assumed is, oh, they only talk about men in the Bible. But truthfully, usually in a family setting, especially when a child's cared for, it's talking about a mother in the Bible. Um, you ha- with the exception, honestly, of the prodigal son story, where where God as a father is being portrayed as one who is caring for his children. And so we have this father here um, who has a wife. She's at home. All we can assume is she's probably caring for their daughter who's dying. Their daughter is, the word used there is little maiden. And that means that she was probably 12 years old, 12 years old or, or younger than that. And so a little girl who's at home um, dying is what we find. And so we have a father who, because he loves his daughter, is seeking Jesus out. And so I'm gonna, we're going to look at, I think it's six different aspects of, of Jairus and, and how he seeks the healing for his daughter. And this is something that, that we can take and, and learn from. How, how do we seek the healing of um, of our children, I say of our children too, because as us being a community, right, those, those children that might not be yours biologically, they're, they're your children in the faith, essentially. Right? So as we do a child dedication, if we do that, if we do, um, that, that is the, the community just saying, yeah, we'll raise this child together. Right? So, so it's this commitment of us all. So how can we all seek the healing of those that are our children? Um. The first point I want, I want to look at in this is the humility that, that Jairus has. And we're not going to assume that humility goes back for his whole life. And partly is because Jairus is among a class of people that have despised Jesus. Now, those in the synagogues, those who are religious leaders, are not people who have been kind to Jesus. Right? We, we see even here Pharisees who are at this house where Jairus is, who are mocking Jesus. So he comes, um, he comes among his own who are mocking him, and he is now in this place of just watching. Right? So he's heard, he might have been participating at one time in this, and now he's watching. And in this, I said we must not devalue the time it takes to get to humility, or the means it takes to get to humility. Right? So when we see humility in someone's life, don't devalue the time it took them to get there. 
I'd say when we see Jairus, who's finally at this point, at saying, I need someone to heal my daughter, right? When he finally gets to this point, don't devalue what it took to get him to that point. Because what took him to get to that point was his daughter's sickness, right? He was pretty desperate at this point. He's coming to Jesus when it is apparently too late. And that's, that's part of where we see the humility here. I, I would almost use the word forced humility, right? Because what would have kept him until his daughter is almost dead, right? The, the word used here when Jesus says, my, my daughter is dying, that can, that can be read not only as dying, but as has died. So to him, it's like she's already died. She's at that point, right? Where it seems like there's no more life left in her. And so what keeps us as fathers until that final point that we finally seek Jesus in humility like he did? Right? It's often we wait till that crisis. And so we can learn from Jairus here God, I, pray, I pray that we have the humility to not wait till your child's dying. Right? That's, that's where Jairus waited. And, and so there's this, this point of massive, uh, this massive breakdown, honestly, in his heart. And, and I know you as fathers probably know this much more than, than even I know this, right? what it would mean for you uh, to have a child that's in that place. So he stands as one among many at this point, this Jairus who stood above many for so many years as the ruler of a synagogue. But now he waits in line as one who seemingly is not special at all, right? So he's not going on his own behalf anymore, right? If he ever went to a synagogue, he would go on his own behalf, Right? I'm Jairus. Okay, open the doors for me. Right? I'm going to sit at the prominent seat of the table. But now he's sitting, watching Jesus interact, wondering. I, be- I believe at this point he is still wondering. Is this man who I have participated in conversations about, right, mocking him, possibly, now I'm watching him, can he really heal my daughter? But I'm at that point where I need, I need my daughter to be healed. Who, who will heal my daughter? She's dying. Right? So now he stands in line waiting for Jesus. And we see this crowd around Jesus, right? People have come from all over to see Jesus, and now he's just standing there seeing what, what place do I have even talking to him among all these people? So he's one among many, and he has no expectation of even having a word with him, but he's desperate. That's what, the, that's what the Bible says here in Mark. It says but he's absolutely desperate at this point because his child's about to die. So what can keep us from humility? A few things really quick. Um, or even approaching Jesus, I would say, is, is a wrong understanding of God knows. Right? Oftentimes we can say that, right? Jairus could have stayed at home. Why? why? Would he you might have rationalized staying at home? Oh, because God knows. <laughs> I'm not going to seek him out. But he wasn't at that point anymore. He goes, I'm going to go to him. I need, I'm at the, I just need, I need to see, I need to hear, I need to be there. 
if Jesus is there, I need to be where he is. I can't just assume God knows, right? This rationalizing that we often do. Why? To stay alone. And God doesn't mean for us to be alone. We, we can often hold out in this, this vain attempt at, uh, surely it will get better. <laughs> okay. okay, if I just wait long enough. Right? He did. He, he waited to that point where he realized, I, I can't just sleep this one off, right? If we just go to bed, maybe she'll be healed in the morning. That's, that's not the way Jesus meant for us to be in that conversation with him, saying, my, my daughter is sick. Come. So, as he approaches, as he watches, as he comes with humility, what this looks like, and what this will look like for you and for all of us, is when he finally approaches Jesus because he's heard this conversation that he's been having at the home, is he drops to his knees and says he bows low. And so what will make this synagogue ruler not only come to Jesus, but bow before Jesus, is this, is he's coming on behalf of his daughter, and he's coming not because of where he's come from necessarily, but his destination, which is Jesus now. Um, in Matthew 9, 19, 9, 9 through 17, we see Jesus' interactions. And one of the interactions is with the Pharisees. He tells them this, because they say, why would you be among sinners? And this is what he says, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician. You guys are familiar with this? He says, but... Go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. And think of Jairus standing there listening to that, right? This interaction. He, for a long time, has probably been among those Pharisees, but now he hears this, learn what this means. I've not, I've come... (coughs) Desiring compassion, not sacrifice, for the sick, right? Not those that already think they're healed. And, and so Jairus finally comes to this point and he says, okay, I realize he's talking to me. And so this is the important part of the story that's often left out, is three people are getting healed in this story, right? You get the woman who's been sick for a long time. You get the daughter at the end. But here, before anyone gets healed, he gets healed, Right? He gets healed of the assumption that he is healed. Right? So the healing begins for him when he's listening to the conversation and he hears, I've not come for those that think they're healed already. I've come for the sick. And I believe in his mind at this point, he goes, for the first time, I am sick. Okay, so he's healed. And, and the healing, what that looks like is he's allowed to worship. Because for so long, okay, going as a dignitary on his own behalf, He's been able to parade himself through the churches. But finally he comes, not to a church, but to a little house where this this renegade evangelist is going through the towns healing people. And Jairus realized he didn't have that power. And so he's healed of the assumption that he has everything he needs and he realized he needs Jesus. And so he becomes brave to the point of worship. And as a worshiper, he now comes to Jesus. Right? And so he bows down before him and worships him. And this is huge. So fathers, where does the healing begin? The healing begins when you realize you need to be healed. 
Can you seek the healing of your children if you have no idea what it means to be healed? If you don't have the humility to say, Jesus, I need you too? Because that's where he was before he even saw that. He came simply thinking it was his daughter he was coming on behalf of. But then he realized he's not only coming on behalf of his daughter, but on behalf of himself. Right? And so he worships Jesus. And then he's brought to this point of, finally, of belief. And what that looks like for him is this. My daughter, my little daughter, and the King James says, my little maiden, is dying. He said, please come and lay hands on her. Heal her so she can live. There's absolute trust to this point, and now he knows what it will take as he's watched Jesus function. Romans 4.21 gives, this is one of the clearest definitions of faith in the Bible, and it's talking about Abraham, who hears the promise that Sarah will, will have a child, and, and she's old, he's old, physically this is impossible. But in Romans 4.21 it says, Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to do whatever he promised. And so what had Jairus heard? <laughs> he heard, I've come to have compassion. I've come for the sick. And at that point, he says, Jairus is in his mind, I believe this is what's going on. He's fully convinced that Jesus, that God has the power to do what he promises. And so a belief, until so he comes to Jesus, and his, his dialogue is very simple here. He just says, Jesus, my daughter is dying. If you would only lay hands on her, I know, I know that she'll be healed. And so it's this very simple faith, Jesus, I know. I just know you at this point, and I know you have the power to heal her, so please, Jesus, come and heal her. It's, it's, not, it's not this man wise in theology that he, he comes and he, he's willing to say, well, if I, do, if I make a sacrifice, I, I desire compassion, not sacrifice. If I make this sacrifice, then he'll come, but all he comes now is saying, I need your compassion, just to lay your hands on her. And so Jesus, without saying a word, in Matthew or Mark, we don't get a word from Jesus. Jesus goes with him. And on the way, they meet a, a woman. And this, this woman, we're going we're gonna to share a little time with her, because I, there's some interesting uh, parallels here. So this little girl who's 12 years old is, in some way, shares a lot with this woman, who has spent her fortune upon healing. And, and what they share, think about this, whether you come from the point of that child or come from the point of this woman, that the woman's been suffering for 12 years and the little girl's been alive for 12 years. And, and in, when we come to Jesus in our pain, sometimes it might be because it's, it's something seems too short or sometimes too long. You get this. We weep over the child. Why? Because it seems like her life is being cut short. Right? Too little time. But over the woman, it's because it's been 12 years. It's been 12 years too long. Isn't that interesting? Right? So for one, it's like, oh, it's been too short. And the other one, it's been too long. And so when we come to this woman who shared a similar amount of time with the little girl, uh, we're, we're meant to, in some ways, just understand time itself. Right? One who's experienced life for 12 years and it's about, it seems to be quenched. And the other one, 12 years has been experiencing this 
this internal form of death as she's been bleeding slowly. Um, and so we find an immense, it's an incredible, vital faith in the woman. Um, and, and I want to address, I know not all of you were here last week, but, um, but last week I had said something, and it was easy to, to un- misunderstand. Um, and and you, you see uh, this explained in the woman. Last week I would said something about um, there's, sometimes when, you know, out of... Uh, love for Jesus, right, out of intimacy with him, we can say, um, you know, if, if I was the only one, Jesus would have come for me, right? Even if no one else was saved, if it was just me. And, and I said that was wrong thinking, and, and it, it is wrong thinking, because, uh, because Jesus came for a lot of people, <laughs> right? So it's wrong thinking theologically to think that. But at the same time, there's a lot of a lot of intimacy with God that we find very hard to explain. And you see this in the woman who all she wants is contact with Jesus. Right? And she, she comes among this huge crowd and she just wants to touch him. Right? And that we can look at and say, oh, that's incorrect theology. Right? She just wants to touch his garment. Right? If she could only hold his clothes. Right? And so, usually we'd be like, no, you just go up and talk to him, right? Because we've read the Bible, you can talk to him, he's accessible, right? But, here we this, um, I was reading, and someone said this about her. It says, there was conscious, voluntary, it was a conscious, voluntary, dependent touch of faith, just simply to make contact with him. And, I, and I, me thinking through this, wrote this, it says, he can feel the individual faith that is laying hold of him. And so as we do have this, God came for us as a whole, right? As a church, as a bride, to win a bride. We have this here, that the individual that approaches him in faith, he can feel them, touch him, right? He is being thronged around by hundreds, maybe thousands of people, but the one person with audacious faith, he can feel her touch. And so, so don't think just because he came for a lot that you're lost within that. Right? So the, that one woman, think, he felt her touch of faith. And that's incredible. So for the individual, not only the body, this is, there's intimacy with God. And we learned that from the woman uh, we find this in, uh, in John where he's talking to the woman at the well and he says the Father's looking for those. He's seeking out those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And, and so we do learn of our own participation in this. So the Father's looking for those. So there's those that will, will seek him, right? Will seek him to worship him in spirit and in truth. And that's what we find in the woman. Um, and this I found helpful. Uh, John Calvin wrote this about this interaction. Um, he says the thought of the woman, of uh, the thought of the woman that if she only touched Christ's garment, she would immediately be cured, arose from an extraordinary impulse of the Holy Spirit and ought not be regarded as a general rule. We know how eagerly superstition is wont to sport in foolish and thoughtless attempts to copy saints. 
but they are apes, not imitators, who take up some remarkable example without the command of God and are led rather by their own senses than by the direction of the Holy Spirit. Follow this through, he explains this. It is even possible that there was a mixture of sin and error in the woman's faith which Christ graciously bears and forgives. Certainly, when she afterwards thinks that she has done wrong and says she fears and trembles, there is no apology for that kind of doubt, for it is opposed to faith. For why did she not go straight to Christ if her reverence for Him prevented from what other source than from His mercy did she expect aid? How come it then that she is afraid of offending Him if she was convinced of his favorable regard. Yet Christ bestows high commendation on her faith. This agrees with what I have lately noticed, that God deals kindly and gently with his people, accepts their faith, though imperfect and weak, and does not lay their charge, the faults and imperfections with which it is connected. It was by the guidance of faith, therefore, that the woman approached Christ. And so this is beautiful, right? So we don't look at the woman's faith and, and assume either on, on her faith or Jairus' faith that they had perfect faith. Right? So we don't look at their faith and we're like, okay, at every point, I'm going to imitate that. I'm going to be like that woman. I'm not going to try really to be in a relationship with him. I just need to be in proximity to him. But God in his mercy, it says, overlooks that, right? Because he wants to make contact with her. So when she just touches him, he turns around which seems really foolish. And, she's, and he says, who touched me? Right? So he's overlooking, I think this is said really well, he's overlooking the imperfections in her faith to make relationship with her. So it's not that she has figured it all out. Right? This woman hasn't figured it all out. She and, her, she and Jairus, the father, are both curious. And they've just found that they can put faith in him. They can just put faith in Jesus. It's imitation of their faith and not of formulas by which we approach God. So her great desire is Jesus, and his approach to her draws another parallel here, which is important. He, his response to her is daughter. Right? So the father is seeking the healing of his daughter, and now Jesus approaches her as his daughter. Right? His daughter, who has been suffering for those 12 years, and now will be healed. And he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. So we have two daughters. One is saved now, and one is still dying. And, and so we learned something else that we follow through with. So where was Jairus while this was going on? He's learning to Wait. Right, so his relationship with God went from here to here really quickly. Why? Because he's in the presence of Jesus. He just assumes he can be with him now. Right? So Jesus is following with him. Jesus stops, and so he stops. And so we learn in Isaiah 40, it says, Though the weight upon the Lord will renew their strength, they will rise up, right? And they will soar on wings like eagles. And so he's learning just to wait with Jesus. His daughter is still dying. And while he waits with him, he receives this, this, real, uh, this real crushing blow where people come to him and they say, right, he's been, it seems like they've, they, maybe it seems like to him they've taken forever with this lady, right? Because his daughter's dying. And then what adds to this is somebody comes and they say, okay, don't even bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter's died. She's dead now. 
And what could come into a father's heart at that point? Why don't, you, why don't we just go? Why do we have to wait? I mean, this lady's old. She's lived a long time. You know, why can't we get back? Couldn't she just come along? Right? Jesus, if, you're, if you know everything, why did we wait? Right? Because my daughter's dead now. But Jesus' response is the first time Jesus addresses him. The first time. Right? So, Jairus is explaining things to Jesus, and we never see Jesus respond, and finally Jesus says something, and it seems way too simple for this scenario. He says, to, he says this to Jairus, Don't be afraid, just have faith. Right? And this isn't what we want. <laughs> we, want to, we don't want Jesus to explain the next half hour of our lives. Okay, well, what's going to happen? We're going to go. We're going we're gonna to figure things out. We're gonna... He just says, just have faith. Right? Just believe, Jairus. So notice the simplicity of Jesus' words. And what carries Jesus isn't, he's not this phen- phenomenal order at this point where he is persuading people, but simply he's just moving through, saying very simple things and carrying through with it with incredible action. Right? You get, who touched my garment? You get, your faith has made you well. And now you get, don't be afraid, <laughs> which seems too simple for all these circumstances that are going on. But he says to him, just have faith. And this is the faith that we see throughout the Bible that we're called for, is to persevere in it. Right? When, the, when this blind man is cured, and the Pharisees ask him what went on, all he says is, all I know is that I once was blind, but now I see. And so if you ask Jairus at this point, why, why would you believe him? Why don't you join this, this train of weeping people? Right? Why would you do that? I, I think his, his answer would be something like that. Well, I, I'm with him. Right? I saw that this woman came and now she's healed. And perhaps he'll do the same thing to my daughter. Right? And, and now I know he's spoken to me and so he's going with me to the house. That's all I know at this point. Right? I'm a worshiper now. That's all I know. I just know Jesus. And so we're moving beyond, and, and I address this with our group on Tuesday, the Total Truth Group, that, I, that when you're, somebody asks you why, your answer isn't, well, because I just have faith, but it is because I know whom I've believed in and that he is able. Right? And that's the answer. So we can point to God himself, and so the answer isn't circular. Well, why? Because I have faith? Well, what's your faith in? Well, it's, my faith is in my faith. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Right? But your faith is in this proximity to Jesus, so you're living in, in Him, with Him, around Him, Him in you. And, and so you can say, well, it's, it's Him. I don't really have the answers yet, but I just know Him. And, and well, in the beginning, God, and then, and then this whole story. And, and right? so you're learning how to explain your relationship with God. And so I believe Jairus at this point would have immaculate theology. Why? Because he just knew Jesus. And he'd be able to talk about Jesus and explain it to them. Why? Because he'd been with them and he was walking with him now. And, and Jesus was now going with him to his home. Right? Why? Well, not because he was an important man, because he was a worshiper and he was just with him now. Right? So our relationship changes when we get to this point. And now he gets the opportunity just to watch Jesus. So you don't, you don't hear uh, Jairus or his wife or, or anyone else um, speak anymore. Um, he just gets to wash him. So Jesus stops the crowd, right? They're at this point where Jesus is understanding where Jairus is at. So what does he do? He just says to the whole crowd, 
He just says, go. Don't even follow me right now. And so they leave, and he just takes with him this small group, and they go to Jairus' house. And so when they approach the home, there's weeping, death is there. And, and Jesus walks in, and, and he says words that to, to everyone makes no sense. He says, she's not dead, she's sleeping. And everyone laughs at him. And so, I look at this in two ways. One is that, that this is strange to see in the scripture, uh, be, but it, it, it shows really that she was really dead, right? They knew she was dead. That's what it was, and so, when, if someone comes and someone's dead, and they say they're just sleeping, that's laughable. Right? So we can understand that. that, that their response was natural. Their, their response to the situation was, why, I don't even, why are you saying that? But Jesus is also being mocked, right? But it doesn't, it doesn't deter him from what he's about to do. He just sends everyone out. And Jairus is watching this going on. He's watching Jesus be laughed at. He's sort of helpless at this moment. He doesn't really know what's going on. He just knows that Jesus is there. Everyone gets sent out. And Jesus now, in this room with his disciples, the mother, the father, and the, and the girl who's recently died, he just looks at the girl and he says with authority, another very simple phrase, little girl, get up. Right? It isn't... This is great, and I encourage you in your prayers, it isn't, and Jesus says this to the Pharisees often, he says, it's not because you say a lot of things that I'm going to listen to you. So we see oftentimes this big hullabaloo, like, like if we dance around enough or like yell at things or like slap people in the face, like they'll, something will happen, right? Like that's how the Holy Spirit gets worked into people. Right? But that's not, that's not what we find in the scripture, <laughs> Right? It's very simple at this point. Jesus just says, little girl, get up. Right? There's, the commotion was the people laughing at Jesus. And he comes, and, and he's just moving in the confidence of God. And he commands this little girl to get up, and she does. It appears simple. Why does it appear simple? Well, because there's faith in Jesus going on, and Jesus is in the room. So things change. Your faith changes. You change when you're with him, when you're connected to him at this point. So fathers, remember this, especially this last point. So all this has gone on, right? They're filled with this wonder and amazement. They're, they're excited. And then so what happens is Jesus looks at him and he goes, get her some food. <laughs> so... So, so everyone could be tempted to over-spiritualize things, like the disciples did on the Mount Transfiguration, just be like, let's just hang out. Like, Jesus is here, so we can just... And Jesus is like, wait, like, okay, get, feed her. Okay, <laughs> so you as fathers don't neglect your children. We learned about this in Colossians two weeks ago. Fathers don't exasperate your children. Right? What that could look like is... Not letting your children eat because you want to just pray all the time. Right? right? You can exasperate your children by trying to over-spiritualize things. Do you guys understand that? 
Like, children need to be raised, and like, you, they need you to go throw a baseball with them. Right? Children need that investment. And so Jesus, as this all's going on, he's reminding them, okay, she needs to eat too. Right? Because we can forget that. We can oftentimes forget that children just need to be raised. But Jesus doesn't forget this. So fathers, as as we look at all this going on, as we learn, approaching humility, why? (laughs) Because you're not going to be able to do it by yourself. That's just a fact. You won't be able to. You need Jesus. What does that look like? It looks like worship. Okay, and then, and then you get to watch him do things that you can't do. But while this is going on, right, seek, seek the health and welfare of your children, right? By, by doing what? Well, by feeding them, making sure they're clothed, making sure they have a roof over their head. Right? Those, are, those are good things to do as a father. And Jesus points to that. This is the last verse in this story. This is the, this is the ending portion of this story is Jesus saying, Okay, not in spite of me, but because of me, feed your children. Okay, make sure they're strong. And so, by no means are we ever supposed to separate the physical and the spiritual. And the story doesn't. So, fathers, seek the healing of your children. What does this look like, including Jesus and all of it? Um, It's very tangible. Um, even though a lot of things that might be said and might be done in that could look foolish. But those things are done in relationship with Him as you seek Him, as you pursue Him. Um, And that is how you will be a father who seeks the healing of your children. Um, With that, I'll pray for us and then we'll do some more singing together. Oh God, I, I thank you um, for, again, just for the stories that you preserve for us. Um, that we not only remember how to be in relationship with you, but we remember how to be human. Because you made us as humans, but you made us to be humans in relationship with you. Um, to know our identity by that. And I, I pray, God, that this will just, this will be a light um, to us today. I, I thank you for my father who has done so well in raising me. I thank you for the fathers in this church. God, and I pray that you'll strengthen them for all this. God, we, we praise your name. And I pray that we can just join in worship together now. Um, God, to see you even as our father. God, thank you for healing us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.